Our second reading. Sorry. Our second reading today comes from Colossians chapter one, verse twenty-four to chapter two, verse five. It can be found on page one two three four of the Pew Bibles, or follow up there on the screen. Paul's labour for the church. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This is the word of God. Thank you, uh, Moya, for reading uh, that passage of Scripture for us uh, this morning. I want to encourage you to please keep your Bibles open to, uh, to Colossians as we uh, work our way uh, through this uh, section, please, this morning. Well, before we do that, uh, let's come uh, to our God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would minister to us in this word. It is your word. It is living. It is powerful. It is given to us for our growth and edification Uh, Father, we pray that the Word of God will accomplish its purposes, for it is your Word. Help us to submit ourselves to this Word of God, both myself and your people here, that we will come under the powerful working of the Spirit of God through the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, this morning, uh, for our text, actually, we're going to look at verses 24 to 29. I started uh, working on the passage, and then I was looking at this whole text, and it was quite an interesting passage that we have here. It's quite uh, a lot of material as well, and so uh, I don't want to rush through the the sections here in in Colossians. We're going to look at 1, uh, verse 24 to 29. Well, last week we looked at Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 23, and we noted that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, that he is very God and very man, that he is the preeminent and all-sufficient one who holds everything together, this world, and we uh, spoke about uh, uh, the, the preservation of Christ, in this, uh, how Christ uh, preserves this world, and he is also the head of the church, and what a blessing, what a comfort 
that is to know that Christ is the head of his church. And so today, as we continue this passage, we're going to look at uh, verses 24 to 29, which is this text, where Paul is speaking of his ministry. Now, why would he do that? It's an interesting question. Why is this transition from such a rich Christological exposition about Jesus and now to shift to his ministry focus? Well, let's see why. And so this morning, we're going to look at this passage under uh, three basic points which is the ministry, the mystery, and the motivation. So three points, uh, three M's, eh? like the big M's, right? So you remember that. The ministry, the mystery, and the motivation. That will be the question after the service this morning, uh, three points. Okay. Well, um, the ministry. Look at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Paul begins by saying that he rejoices in his sufferings. This seems rather strange, isn't it? Who would like to rejoice in suffering? Would you? None of us want to rejoice in our sufferings. It seems almost absurd. It seems almost a ridiculous statement to make. To rejoice in one's suffering. Who would want to rejoice in suffering without any purpose? But think about the Apostle Paul. Paul was, Paul was the guy who arrested Christians. He threw them in jail. He even gave his approval to their execution. And in the case of Stephen, he was there when he was being stoned. But now things have changed after he was converted as we know in that uh, road to Damascus experience in Acts chapter 9. And so Paul thereafter suffered much for being a Christian and as an apostle of Jesus. And so we read by his own admission, this in in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 25 to 28, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me, of my anxiety for the churches. That's a list, isn't it? What a list that is. Beaten, out there in the cold. And then, at the end of it, at the end of it, we have this this powerful statement there. There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. What would that anxiety have been, friends? Anxious for the church. You know, if you um, are a minister of the gospel and a pastor in a church, that anxiety is for real. I speak from my own experience. This year, as I've said, will be 30 years in ministry by God's grace. And constantly, there is in the back of my mind, constantly, you as God's people, The anxiety and the pressure of thinking about the church. Now, I'm not like Paul. 
Certainly not. And I don't claim to be anyone who is like Paul at all. But as a pastor, there's always the concern for God's people, the church. And so Paul is saying here, the suffering for the gospel. But rather than complaining about all his suffering, he rejoiced in his suffering. Now why would this be the case? Have a look at 24b and 25. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is, the church of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Now, verse 24, friends. Verse 24b is a very challenging verse. I have discussed this with some of the guys recently, right? Uh, how, how do we make sense of what is Paul saying here in 24b? What does he mean by these words? There has been so much written on this one verse. I was reading one writer who said that, uh, that entire books have been written on this particular verse. Why? Well, anyway, let's, let's, say, let's look at what it does not mean. All right? Okay, let's look at what it does not mean. It does not mean that Paul has added to the work of the cross of Christ. As if Jesus was lacking in his atonement for our sins. All right? It does not mean that. It does not mean that the work of Jesus on the cross for our sins was somehow supplemented by Paul's suffering. Does it mean that? It does not mean that. This is not the case at all. For he has just about given us a rich, a superb Christology of Jesus Christ in 15 to 23 on the person of Christ. I encourage you, friends, to read 1 Corinthians 15 to 23 regularly to see the, and marvel at the majesty and the splendor of Jesus. So I think he's not trying to add to any work. I think that the way to understand this somewhat complex verse is to look closely to what Paul, to what, and what Paul speaks about the, the body. Now we know that Jesus in his physical body is not here on earth. We know that, right? Where is he now? Your call? In heaven, right? He's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. We know that, right? He is not here physically with us. His atonement for our sins was absolutely complete. And so the clue to understanding this, I believe, is this way, I think. I believe the body is to be understood here as the church. So when Paul is speaking of, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, he describes and tells us what this is. That is the church. And so now to understand what's going on here, let me refer to Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, remember Paul was going on the road to Damascus. Remember that? And suddenly, who did he meet on the road to Damascus? Jesus met him there. He encountered Christ. Saul was going on the road to Damascus to attack Christians. And Jesus encountered him. 
And there he was converted. And then we have this interesting text that has fascinated me all the time. And it still does. And that's this. Acts chapter 9, 4 and 5. And fall into the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why? Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Was he actually physically persecuting Jesus in any way? No. As we know, Jesus was not on earth. He had already ascended. But the church, which is his body, is here on earth. And here on earth, the church is afflicted and continues to face ongoing persecution. And as the church, the body of Christ is persecuted, so is Jesus. Last afternoon, I was with Rodan in the city. They had two young blokes in the morning who played for the women's conference. I'll tell you what happened. A young guitarist and a hulky guy playing the drums. In the afternoon, Rodan and myself were given the honor of doing it. Don't laugh, it was quite good actually. I got my drumming skills back. The ladies enjoyed it, there you go. And Rodan was, we were sitting there outside in the foyer. And we read this magazine together on Open Doors. You heard of the organization Open Doors? We read this together. I mean, the persecution in Egypt. The killings in that country. And we read about the garbage city in Egypt. Did you know that? Our Egyptian brothers and sisters would know that. The amazing ministry that's going on in the garbage city in Egypt. And then we read story after story about persecution. Of how our brothers and sisters in Christ are persecuted beyond our imagination. I was sat there and thinking, man, what are we grumbling about? What do we grumble about in our churches, eh? The things that we get worried about. Carpet is green. It's all right. We're worried about other things. We get worried about if we don't do things properly. We get legalistic about things. We're about lots of minor things, don't we? In the church, there's so much suffering. And we're moved by what we read. You see, friends, the church is afflicted. And Christ shares in that pain. And when you see the tears, you see the photos of people in Egypt and other places in tears, you begin to wonder about that suffering. The church is afflicted. Suffering goes on. And Paul is saying that he was sharing in that affliction and filling up. And he's saying that he is suffering for them. And in doing so, I believe what we see in the text is that he's sharing in the suffering of the body of Christ, the church. That's what it is. And what a statement. What a statement. Do we feel the pain? Of our brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we feel the ache in our hearts with the suffering? Do we feel their afflictions? And we must also not be surprised when we face suffering.
for Christ ourselves. In fact, we must expect to face affliction as Christians more and more, I believe, in the Western world, don't we? When I came to Australia, I, uh, you know, I came for studies in 1988. First time I landed in Melbourne, it was 8 o'clock in the even, night or something on the 23rd of January. I looked out the window and said, that's strange. In Sri Lanka, 6 o'clock, it's all dark. It's light. And I came into this country thinking, this is a Christian country. And then as time went on, I began to understand it's really not. It's going away, isn't it? Our nation. And it's hard to be a Christian. And the afflictions are starting. One, you see, in fact, we must expect, as one theologian and scholar puts it this way, in fact, it's John Frame, I've been reading his uh, systematic theology, I can't put the book down, it's such, such meaty stuff. Anyway, God preserves his people through persecution and honors their suffering by uniting it to the sufferings of Christ. That's what we have here. God preserves his people through persecution and honors their suffering by uniting it to the sufferings of Christ. Christ. And so let it be very clear that the suffering does not add anything to the redemptive work of Jesus. And then verse 25, let's keep moving. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. You see, Paul says that he became a minister. The word there in the Greek is a, is, is a word diakonos, which means a servant. Right? Paul is saying, I am a minister of the word of God, a servant of the gospel. I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm a servant of his people. I'm a servant of his church. Their attitude is a servant heart. What an attitude to have in ministry. I became a minister according to the stewardship of God to make the word of God fully known. This is the job of any minister of the gospel of Christ. Do you agree? Any minister must do that. In our Presbyterian system of government, a minister in our understanding, we must get this very, very clear, friends, very clear. In our Presbyterian system of government, a minister in our understanding is one who has been ordained and set apart by the presbytery as a minister of the word and sacraments. That is the office of the minister. Now, all of us, in some way, are ministers in the sense that we minister to one another and to this world. But there is, for our understanding, the definite office of the minister. And one of the responsibilities of the minister of the gospel in the Presbyterian Church of Understanding is that he will preach the word of God and be signed the formula. And so also for our elders... The primary task of the minister is to preach the word. If he does not, he's failing. And let's move on. Verses 26 and 27. Paul goes on to the mystery. Look at verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now been revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. By the way, the, the sermon's title this morning, Christ in you, that's the message title for us to remember. You see, Paul was entrusted with the stewardship of a ministry which has been long a mystery. And he talks about it, this mystery here, which had been hidden in past ages and generations. And he says, and a mystery that is now revealed, it's made known to Gentiles. What is this mystery? 
We will see in a moment. Now, most of us love a good mystery, don't we? Do you like watching detectives with mystery in it? I like shows like Unsolved Mysteries. Anyone? Oh, you do? Oh, good, good. There are a few, yeah. Anyone seen Murder, She Wrote? Raise your hands. Oh, you see that? Oh, it's good few. <laughs> Inspector Frost? Yeah, how good is Inspector Frost, eh? I used to watch those days, Columbo. Remember Columbo? With his famous, famous cigar, huh? And scratches his head and moves around. He's got that funny style. I used to watch Kojak. Now I can identify with Kojak quite well. <laughs> right? But you see, Murder, She Wrote, for example. I love the series Murder, She Wrote. And... Um, you know, she was played by actress Angela Lansbury, right? As the character Jessica Fletcher. Very interesting. And in watching these episodes, I'm always fascinated, trying to find out, figure out the mystery of who committed the crime. And they take you in all kinds of tangents, and I worked it out in my mind. Yeah, that's the one who's done the job. And then somehow, it's gone somewhere else. And it's somebody else who has done the crime. And the mystery is resolved. And the perpetrator of the crime is revealed. The mystery is known. And then it makes sense. You see, Paul here is talking about a mystery. And the mystery, Paul says, is not a secret, unlike the false teachers have got. This mystery had to be revealed by God, otherwise we couldn't have it known to us. And what is the mystery, friends? Look at verse 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the mystery. Christ for you, my Gentile friends, is the hope of glory. The Gentiles, the non-Jews, in you is the hope of glory. Christ has been revealed to you. So at the center of this mystery, is the revelation that in Christ, God's purposes are not restricted to Jews, but were to be embraced by the entire world. Look at verse 27, which is Christ in you among the Gentiles, the riches of his glory, this mystery. God's plan in Christ has been revealed to the Gentiles. I'll tell you what happened to me last week. On Friday... I went out for lunch. I had to meet a couple of guys. I thought, okay, they invited me for lunch, so I thought, lunch is always nice to go out for, right? So I went out for lunch with these blokes. And right next to me was sitting another guy. I've never met him in my life. So two blokes, this new guy that I never met, and myself. And then we got talking. And we got talking about scripture. And the guy seated next to me knew his Bible absolutely well. I was kind of thinking, man, this guy knows the scriptures. The entire Old Testament and everything. And the New Testament. And he was talking. And, and so I have two Christian friends. We have a non-Christian guy here and myself. So I'm sitting next to him and thinking, hmm. So we're talking about, okay, what church do you go to? I asked the other guy. So you are at that church. And then this guy sitting next to me, I said, so, by the way, what church do you go to? And then he said, I go to a church called a synagogue. I just fell off my chair. <laughs> I go to the synagogue, my church. What do I do? I'm sitting next to a Jew. 
And I'm already preparing this text in my mind. What is God doing to me, friends? Last week I was preparing on the invisible image of God and I have Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door. This week I'm preparing about Gentiles and I have a Jew sitting next to me. Then we got talking about Jesus. Now I'm going to meet the guy again sometime. It'll be a very fascinating conversation. You can pray for me, right? The Jew and myself, we're going to talk. Oh, man. Anyway, let's come back here. So this gospel message has been given. And now he, he makes the point of this mystery, isn't it? Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, this, my friends, is the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What a remarkable statement. What a profound statement. What a powerful statement. What a great statement that we have here in this passage. Christ in you. So, friends, you might ask, how is Christ in me? You see, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and by faith in Jesus, we become united to Christ, one with Christ. And so the Father and Son, they come to indwell the believer through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 14, 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. And then this amazing statement, what is it? And we will come to him and then what? Make our home with him. How is that? Christ, the hope of glory and the Father will come into your life and he will make your life his home. Is Jesus at home in your life? Is he? Are there any doors that are locked that Christ can't go in? How is your home today? Is he the master of your home? Is he the master of my life? Think about it, friends. And so the Holy Spirit, you see, when we are converted, we become Christians, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. As we see here in 16.14, John, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit takes what belongs to Christ, given to Him by the Father, and shows it to us. And so as Christians this morning, we have great assurance that when we are united to Christ by faith, we receive the whole of Christ and all the benefits of redemption, not just some of them. Christ in you. Friends, the you in this statement is plural in the text. It's a collective statement, but it can also mean an individual thing as well. So this morning, let me encourage you to think of Christ in you individually. In his systematic theology, uh, Louis Burkhoff um, says this, that uh, speak of the union with Christ, that intimate, vital, and spiritual union between Christ and his people, in virtue of which is the source of their life and strength of their blessedness and salvation. Christ in you is the source of life, strength, and blessedness. What a blessing, friends. This is an absolutely comf- comforting truth. Remember Christ in you always. All right, this week, will you remember that? 
When you go to work tomorrow, forget about Mondayitis. Right? You remember Christ in you. When you're going through the valley in your life, and when you are having one of those off days, you remember Christ in you. You as a young person today sitting here in this place, and you face the challenges of your own identity. Who am I? What am I doing here? How am I accepted by my colleagues, by, by, by my peers? Should I do this or that to be accepted by this one and that one? No, 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 no. You're accepted in Christ as a young teenager. As a young person you're sitting, know your identity in Jesus. Christ in you. When you go to uni tomorrow, when you go to school tomorrow, when you go to work tomorrow, when I sit in my office and work, I need to remember Christ is in me. Will you remember that this week? And what a blessing that is. What a blessing. See, Romans, this glory uh, speaks. What about the hope of glory? All right, let's, um, let's see that as we move on very quickly in this text. Romans 8, 10, and 11. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give give. Life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory, is the assurance and guarantee of our resurrection. This is the blessed assurance. This morning we sang the wonderful hymn. Remember the hymn? Blessed assurance. Uh, it goes, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of Glory divine. And you know what, friends? It was written by Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby got blind when she was six weeks old. There's a story behind that, and I won't go into that. She wrote about apparently 9,000 uh, hymns and songs. Blind from the age of six weeks old. And one day, one well uh, meaning preacher um, came and said this to Fanny Crosby. Do you know? He uh, said this, you know. What's going to happen, you know, if you had sight? Do you know that if at birth I had been able to, to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind? Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. Now that was a response to one of the preachers who said this, I think it is a great pity that the Master did not give you sight when he showered you with so many other gifts. And her response, right? because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. Her eyes will be opened. She will see Jesus. What a testimony, eh? You see, friends, this morning, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the blessed assurance that one day we will see the face of whom? Jesus. 
And so we move on, the motivation. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, and teaching, verse 28, with all wisdom and admonition. We proclaim Christ. You see, we don't, we, in this pulpit, we don't proclaim fanciful stories. We don't proclaim social issues important as they are. Uh, nor do we uh, talk about all the climate issues and all that important as they are. We proclaim, we, nor do we proclaim ourselves. We don't proclaim a social gospel of works, though we must do good works. The Bible says that we must proclaim Jesus Christ to the world. We proclaim Jesus, the eternal Son of God. Him we proclaim. You see, this pulpit, dear friends, this pulpit is a beautiful pulpit, isn't it? It's a lovely piece of work. Really, it is amazing. In the Presbyterian Church, the pulpit belongs to the ministers. If the senior minister ultimately belongs to the senior minister. No one can preach here without his approval. But in the end, this pulpit does not belong to the minister either. Whose pulpit is it? Who do you think? This pulpit belongs to Christ. Do you agree? It is the pulpit belongs to Christ. Who am I to say, oh, the pulpit belongs to me? It does not. Yes, on an earthly basis, yes, for responsibilities we have. But ultimately, Christ must be proclaimed from this pulpit. Yes, you agree? Everyone who comes here must hear the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is his pulpit. It is his church. It is his word. And it is he who must be exalted and glorified. Who am I, a pitiful, saved, rotten sinner by grace to come here every Sunday? It is his pulpit. You see, he must be proclaimed. And Paul says, warning and teaching are two sides of the apostles' work. And here's the motivation uh, to present everyone mature in Christ. You see that what a thing that is, friends. And verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This can be a toil, can be a struggle. How does Paul handle his struggle? With his own strength? Notice the word that is used there, the word energy. Energy. That's the word in the original, okay? It's energy. When I go to the chemist, usually to buy my tablets for my cholesterol, so that I'm alive and everything, I can eat all the fatty food, take a tablet, and everything is fine. I can eat all the bacon, all the crackling, a cracking job, right? And take a tablet, that's it. All my sins are gone. No. No, it doesn't work. Anyway, when I go to the chemist, when I go to the chemist, I'm usually fascinated to look at the multivitamin section to see what is the new product in town. And so they got multi Swiss things, and they got this thing for men's health, and multivitamins, and B stress, and vitamin C's, and ah, oh man, it's all there. These are supposed to give you energy boost, right? Vitamins. Now, friends, we all get tired. We all have varying levels of energy. And so it's important to take care of our bodies. I'm not saying that. Now, in the Christian life, we need energy as well. And Paul is saying, because we are weak, and thankfully, like Paul, we have been empowered by the Spirit, and we receive the strength necessary to endure as we rely on Him in our service for Him. This spiritual energy comes from the Spirit. Eh? Do you feel the energy? 
I'm not asking you to answer. You see the energy that comes, comes from the Spirit of God. That when He comes into your heart, He brings a dynamic power, dynamic strength, dynamism that comes from the Spirit. There are many times, friends, I tell you personally, I just share some personal things this morning. You know, there are many times I felt so weak, so weak to come on a Sunday. Many times. But I say, Lord, you are strong. The energy comes from him. So as we conclude, I pray, how are you serving him, friends? See, it's a toil, isn't it? Paul says, I toil. What about us? How are we toiling in serving Jesus? Have you asked yourself, how am I laboring for Jesus? How am I serving him? Is there one thing that I am doing for him right now in the light of all that he has done for me? Just one thing. Are you doing one thing? Or am I too busy taking care of myself and my interests and having no time to labor for him? So in conclusion, Paul preached the mystery hidden for ages now realized in Jesus Christ. The mystery that Gentiles too would be partakers of this glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now we are part of his family. He is our all, the hope of glory. Is he in you this morning? Is Christ in you? Is there anyone here this morning who does not know that this Jesus Christ as your Savior, then come to him. And join me in praying this prayer and come and see one of us and we'd like to share the gospel with you. So let me pray in close. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word, Christ in us, the hope of glory. I pray this morning, this prayer for anyone who does not know you, that in the quietness of such a person's heart, he or she may pray, Lord Jesus, I have sinned against you. You are the eternal Son of God. Thank you for dying for me, for my sins at the cross. Help me to repent of my sin, humble myself before you, and invite Jesus into my life, that Christ may live in me. Help me to trust you, Lord Jesus. For those of us who know you, Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us to rejoice with the glorious hope that we have in Christ. And may the energy of the Spirit of God help us along the way. In Jesus' name, amen.